Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. And the podcast is also brought to you by OnX Maps. And with OnX Maps, you can know where you stand with the most accurate hunting GPS tech on the market with land ownership maps that work offline. Go to onxmaps.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 20% when you sign up for an app membership at onxmaps.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or buglingbull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing, every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey... 
we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. You there, Corey? I am here loud and clear. How about that? Did we just jinx ourselves by bragging about our technology talents again this time? Nope, I'm not going to say anything about it. (laughs) (laughs) I may may be slow in some areas, but when it comes to technology, I learn lessons really quickly. Yeah, well, I don't learn very quickly, so I had to bring it up. Hey, uh, I'm I'm thinking we ought to talk about Utah and Nevada today. Yeah. They're coming up. Yeah, they're coming up uh, soon. Utah's here in just a few weeks, so... Yeah. What is that? It's Did funny, I- we uh, we did the Arizona and Wyoming podcast, and I was a little slow getting those up on YouTube, which I, if anybody's listening to this and you listen to the podcast on YouTube, don't forget you can listen to it anywhere that podcasts are available on any podcast listening platform, and you will get it as soon as it comes out on YouTube. We upload those, and sometimes it takes a little while, but... I think uh, Wyoming got loaded either the day before or the day after the Wyoming deadline, and Arizona was just a few days before the Arizona deadline. So I got a couple emails from people that were unhappy and a few comments on YouTube that basically said, oh, thanks a lot. You're you're doing these podcasts after the deadline. And no, we're, we're doing them before the deadline, just some platforms don't get loaded soon enough. So Yeah. Well, the good news was that the Arizona system, their servers didn't crash this year. Yeah. That was the first time in a long time that on the final day, Arizona didn't have a complete train wreck. So, <laughs> Well, it might have had to do something with them reducing tags by 50%. It could be. Fewer, fewer people applying, but... Well, maybe we've destroyed Arizona's entire application interest by... Yeah. Our- yeah, so telling everyone how hard it is to draw. Well, if if they've been discouraged by Arizona and Wyoming, they uh, might not want to listen to Utah and Nevada. Yeah, this, uh, yeah, these two states, they take bad draw odds to a whole new level. Yeah, so. and they couple it with uh, pretty high costs and yeah. Factoring cost and low draw odds, it's uh, it's not for everyone. So no. So uh, as we get into that, I guess the, the we go back to our we did the podcast. I'm trying to remember. It was like a Q and A from the audience, and some guy had a thousand dollars or something like that, and we were talking about how you would allocate it. I have a feeling that. Utah and Nevada would not be on the budget allocation for most people dealing with a a restricted budget. You know, and Utah's not necessarily a, a super expensive state, but by the time you factor in how long it's going to take you to draw and the you know the quality tag that you're going to get after 15 or 20 years it's probably not one that either of us would recommend those people who are you know looking to spend a thousand dollars a year and start building their point strategy and their short-term mid-term and long-term hunting uh, opportunities i don't know that either of these states would be a, a very high on the list state to recommend for any of those strategies with that being said i know you've drawn utah elk a couple times uh, or well, utah in general a couple times and yeah. elk uh, i've drawn my utah elk and i quit putting in for points just looking you know into the future i drew they had a five-year wait at the time 
by the time I could start applying again, you know, I did the math and it just it didn't make sense to continue building points in Utah. I am building points in Nevada uh, just because I've never hunted elk in Nevada and want to. And I know that I'm still a ways out. I think I have five points, but, you know, that there are uh, certain people who will find who will be interested in hunting Utah and Nevada. But I think for the bulk of our listeners, um, they wouldn't be they'd probably be lower on the list than in the upper 50 percent compared to other yeah. states. And one thing that one of the questions or comments we got when I was kind of given my view of the world of how to allocate budget was someone pointed out that, look, I love to hunt mule deer as much as I love to hunt elk. And therefore, I see it way differently than you do, Newberg. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Because, you know, if you like hunting mule deer a lot, then maybe Nevada and Utah jump higher up because you can work through their mule deer systems every three to five years. And so maybe you view elk as the the benefit byproduct of your mule deer applications. But for what we're talking about, we're looking at it through the lens as though elk is your primary focus. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. If you're applying for Utah and Nevada for mule deer and you're buying the license anyway and it only costs you another $10 or whatever to apply for an elk and get an elk point, then yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Well, I guess that means we got to jump into the gory details, right? <laughs> Should we start with Utah since it's uh, first up on the deadline for application? Yeah, March 5th, 2020 is when you have to have your application into Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. And if you miss that deadline, they'll give you a two-week pardon to go and buy some bonus and preference points. Yep. Um, and just, don't, don't miss those deadlines. Yeah, and just to so people are aware, to buy a, a bonus point in Utah, you do have to hold a license. That's correct, right? Yep. So, that's, so you have to buy the license, and I think it's, was that, $65 for the non-resident still? Yep. It's the least expensive option. And then your points are going to cost you 10 bucks a piece once you buy that license. So let's say you wanted to do elk, deer, antelope, bison, and moose. That means you've bought five points or even if you apply for those species it's still 10 bucks per species so you're then you'd have your 65 dollar license plus 50 dollars of point slash application costs 115 bucks and then yep. if you were to draw say you you said no i'm not going to just buy points i want to go actually get a raffle ticket for my ten dollars in the pot here uh they ding your credit card for the rest of the the charges after the fact. So when you make draw. sure your credit card is valid. <laughs> yeah, and can you draw more than one species as a non-resident in Utah? Uh, not in the limited entry draws, and that kind of sets up the the question. <laughs> We're, we're going to disregard, since this is an elk podcast, we're going to disregard their general buck deer drawing, which it's kind of counterintuitive to say it's a general tag, but you got to draw it. Yeah. So, folks, don't email us and say, hey, you forgot about general buck deer. We're looking at this for elk. 
But yeah, you're allowed to draw one limited entry tag per year in Utah. And that means if you draw deer, because they do them in an order, they start with deer, then they do elk, then they do antelope, and then they do the once in a lifetime species, which are moose, bison, mountain goat, desert bighorn, and Rocky Mountain bighorn. But if you were to draw limited entry deer, the first part of the draw they do, you are booted out of any remaining draws and just given a point for all the rest of the species you applied for. So. Gotcha. So if you put in for an easy to draw deer hunt, but really wanted to use your 21 points on an elk hunt you've been after, you would probably be messing up because you'd draw the deer tag first and then not be eligible for any other of the draws sequentially after that. Yep. So definitely something to keep in mind if you if you are applying and you really want to draw that elk tag you might want to hold off on applying for a deer or just get a point for deer or put in for a really hard to draw deer tag yeah because of that sequence yep okay so they uh and we probably have some Utah residents who are listening, and we often get the comment of, well, it, that's not how it works for us. Well, Utah has <laughs> a slight bit of tweak difference. Uh, the only real difference, other than price and percentage of tags allocated, uh, the remaining difference between residents and non-residents in the Utah limited entry draw is what species you can apply for, whereas residents can only apply for one of deer elk and antelope non-residents can apply for all three deer elk and antelope so can a resident buy bonus points for all three and then just apply for one they can they have to choose which one they're going to build points for one at a time yep interesting and then the same with uh the once in a lifetime species of moose bison goat and the sheep species, we as non-residents can buy points or apply for every one of those species, and a non-resident can only do it for one of those species. So Hmm. if you're a resident of Utah and you're listening to what we're saying, just understand we are aware of the differences, but we're focusing mostly on the non-resident perspective and mostly on that perspective through the eyes of someone who likes to hunt elk primarily. Good deal. So you want to try to explain how this system works? Yeah, I think I have a a pretty good grasp on it. And it's one that's really stayed pretty consistent for quite a while as far as how they run their draw. So if I remember right, it's it's kind of a hybrid. They do a bonus point and a preference point uh, pool. So half of the available tags in each hunt... uh, Half of them go into the preference point pool where those who have the most points are guaranteed those tags uh, up to the quota of tags. And then the other half go in a bonus point pool where everybody has a chance based on a weighted chance based on how many points they have. So if there's an elk hunt that this year the maximum point holder that applies for that has 10 points, and there are three tags available and only two people with 10 points apply, those uh, those three tags, two of them go to the two people who apply with 10 points. And then if there are four people who apply with nine points, 
they randomly are chosen. That one last tag goes to one of those with nine points. And then the three tags that are available for the preference or for the bonus point round, those uh, everyone who applies with nine points or less, they get nine chances in the hat, eight chances in the hat, however many points they have, and they draw out the winner from for those three tags from that pool. Yeah. And then so a lot of people think that they're not in the preference point part of the draw. And it's weird. They still call them bonus points over in that first part of the draw, even though yeah. they treat them as preference points. Uh, but in the example you used, all right, there were six non-resident tags. Three go into the preference draw. Three go into the random draw. Uh, and again, why they call that a random draw? It's a random draw using your bonus points it's a weighted <laughs> random draw <laughs> if people aren't confused by now the best thing i can tell them to do is to go to the go hunt insider and they have all this laid out in visuals and diagrams and it makes it way way easier to follow um but the what you were saying there is yeah it's it's really weird that in the first part of the draw and everybody goes in that first part of the draw. And in your example, there's people with 10 points. Each of those guys got a tag. So there's one tag left for the point pool that has nine people. And only one of that group is going to get a tag. And everybody who didn't draw in the, in the first part where they convert your bonus points to preference points, you get thrown over into the second part of the draw. So it's not like you you're only in one part of it. You are in both parts of the draw. You just don't have a chance in the first part. Yep. And then when we talk about draw odds, that really applies to how your bonus points convert. I always say convert to raffle tickets. And the reason I use the <laughs> raffle ticket analogy: Have you ever been to a conservation hunting based fundraiser that didn't have multiple raffles going on? No. <laughs> yeah. I have found that in the hunting space, people really understand raffle tickets. So that's why I equate bonus point systems to raffle tickets. Um, maybe I shouldn't do that, but and it works good for my simple mind. Well, and that's, that's all it really is, is if you have eight points, you've bought eight chances, eight raffle tickets, and you drop them in a hat and they pick out a winner from that so if you only have one bonus point you have uh, eight times less of a chance of drawing as somebody with eight bonus points yeah so it's uh it's just the way it is and then so in that example the person with eight bonus points they get assigned eight random numbers and whatever is their lowest random number that's the random number you get to use in the second part of the draw so the odds are if you get assigned eight random numbers the probability of yours being a lower number than someone who only gets one random number assigned to them is a whole lot better doesn't mean yep. you're gonna win we've all been to the raffle right where the guy who <laughs> one guy stuffs the box one by, ticket yeah one guy buys one ticket and then some guy's half drunk and he spends four hundred dollars and the guy who bought one ticket ends up getting his number pulled well that can happen in a bonus point system. So. And then everyone says, well, that's not fair, but actually <laughs> that is fair. That's, that's yeah. why they do it. 
<laughs> yeah, and it, a couple of years ago, they kind of changed because some people, I'm sure, are thinking, "Well, what if there's an odd number of tags?" So it used to be the first tag always went to the the random slash bonus point draw. The second tag went to the preference point draw. Third tag to the random slash bonus. Fourth tag to the preference point. Well, now they changed it where if there is only one tag, which in a lot of these non-resident outcomes, there is only one tag, that one tag goes into the random preference or, or random bonus point part where at least everybody has some chance. It might be a very small chance, but you got a chance. And then the second and third tag go into the first part of the draw where it's based on who has the most points. And the fourth tag goes back over into the random draw. The fifth tag over to the preference high point draw and back. Keeps going that way. So they they probably have more than one they probably have more than one attorney that's helped them draft up this process. <laughs> I think they went to MIT and found a bunch of the statistician probability experts and say, how can we make a more complicated system? <laughs> and they, they probably said, we want the probabilities to be as close to zero as possible. We're still giving people hope. <laughs> yeah, well, they succeeded. <laughs> that seems to, seems to kind of be the direction we're going with all these draws in each of these states is, man, yeah. it's just, it's getting harder and harder to navigate and harder and harder to draw tag and, you know, we, we've talked about bonus points in the past and preference points, and I think Idaho and New Mexico are the only two states that are kind of the holdout that don't use a point system for elk. Yep. And, uh, man, Keep I hope they way. continue. Yeah, just it's, you know, and I think that consensus, a lot of people that don't understand point systems, they hear it and they say, well, if I stand in line longer, I should be giving pri- given priority. Uh, but all that does is it gives you a chance that first time. But we can see after several years and several states of doing it that this is a slippery slope that just keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah. So one thing in Utah, unlike your home state of Idaho and my home state of Montana, uh, they actually carve away 10% of the tags for non-residents to apply and, I guess, fight over in their own non-resident draw. Whereas in the states you and I live in, non-residents compete with residents and are capped at, quote-unquote, up to 10% of the tags. Yep. That doesn't mean non-residents are guaranteed 10% in our states. In Utah, as non-residents, we know we're going to get that 10%. Yep. So if there's 100 elk tags in a unit that the the game and fish has set aside and said, we feel that we can harvest this many elk out of this unit. We'll give a hundred tags. 10 of those are automatically taken out of that hundred tag pool and set aside for non-residents. Yep. Whereas mo- many states that just have the cap say, yeah, non-residents can apply. And once we hit those 10 tags, if non-residents have taken 10 tags, then no more tags are available, but all hundred tags may go to residents depending on, you know, that random draw or the draw, however it works out, there's no, no set aside. So that is nice of Utah to at least set some aside for non-residents and guarantee that they're there. Yeah. 
If they get any kinder, they'll die of enlargement of the heart. Man, no kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Speaking of enlargement of the heart, let's uh, let's talk about enlargement of the budget because Utah, while it is not the most expensive state, uh, you have $65 for your license, you have $10 per species for the application or bonus point. And then if you draw, they're going to charge you $800 for that limited entry elk tag. Yeah. So that pretty much wipes out your $1,000 budget right there just uh, if you draw. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I think a lot of people, they, they add Utah to their list later on down the road once their budget grows a little more. The flip side of that is the later you get in the game in a state like Utah with such low draw odds, the harder it is to to ever draw a tag. Well, yeah, depending on how late you wait to get in the game, you may not draw a tag in your lifetime. Yeah, depending yeah. on what your what your goal is and what yeah. your standards are for quality of a hunt, because some of those tags are already up to you know for a non-resident, you're looking at. 20 to 25 years to draw a tag. And, and again, there's not necessarily a guarantee depending on how many tags are available. Yeah. I, I just, when you think about how in Utah, a lot of their rifle tags, the high demand rifle tags are in September during the rut. Yeah. So the success rates are so high. That means they can't give away a lot of other tags for other seasons. And so Opportunity in Utah is heavily constrained, and they manage for very, very old age class of class of harvest. So you add all of that in there, and there is not a lot of tags given out in Utah in these units that we look for in these limited entry units. So, yep. Yeah, because you're talking like the the rifle hunt. If you draw a rifle elk tag, there's some years it opens on like what, September 13th or something? I mean, it's yeah. This year it opens, be the earliest. Yeah, this year it opens September 12th and yeah. runs until September 20th. So you and have a rifle days with a rifle while these elk are there bugling their brains out. And there's a couple of years where they have a second season. They call it a mid-season, and I think those start this year October 3rd and run to October 15th. And even that's... You know, the elk are still bugling then also. Yeah. Well, and then you have muzzleloader season also, which yeah. they give away quite a few muzzleloader tags. And yeah. that typically falls right in between that yeah. rifle season and then the mid-season. So you're hunting them, you know, late September into the first part of October, which, again, they're, you know, yeah. peak rut hunting with the muzzleloader. Yeah. This year, September 21 through October 2nd is the muzzleloader season. Yeah. And so the archers kind of get the short end of the stick in utah season starts this year august 15th and runs until september 11th yeah and it was similar the year i drew i think it closed on the 13th 12th or 13th mm-hmm. and honestly the elk really just started going those last two or three days of the season it's it's kind of a you know a lot of states i i 
anticipate that I'm going to be able to find bugling elk and get some good bugling action anytime, you know, from September 1st to the 10th. But in Utah, it really was about the 10th before the elk really picked up and started bugling. You'd hear a location bugle here and there, but they really didn't start looking for cows and really start getting any rutting action until about September 10th. So it really restricts, you know, if you put in for one of those archery tags and you wait 15 years to draw it, some years you're only going to get two or three days to really get in and hunt it. And you couple that with the full moon and hot weather and it makes Utah pretty, pretty tough for archery hunting. Yeah. How many points did you have when you drew? Do you know? I drew 11 with 11 points. 11 points. What year was that? Uh, it was 2012, I believe. Okay. So, so eight years ago. All right. So, and in the unit you drew the archery tag right now, 11 points, your odds are 2.5%. <laughs> so in eight years, it went from 100% guaranteed to 2.5%. So, yeah. So right yeah. now to be a hundred percent guaranteed for that tag you had requires eighteen points. And do the math on that. That was eight years ago. So it's basically crept up one point every year. It takes one more point every year to draw that. It went from a hundred percent to two point five percent. I just it doesn't it isn't too hard to see that points are not the answer to <laughs> to manage hunting opportunity. <clears throat> Yeah, I drew a unit in archery hunt in 2014 as an alternate. Someone turned the tag back in, which in Utah, you can turn your tag back in. Uh, and they called me. I was the next alternate, and I was pretty lucky to be the next alternate. Uh, but even right now with the four points, that's how many points I had that year, uh, You would uh, your odds are only 5.3% for that tag. And it's not what... Most most people would consider that to be a below average hunt in Utah. Yeah, and so, that was an archery hunt, also. That was archery. So, right now, if you had your eleven points and you were looking at a muzzleloader hunt, I don't see any of them here that have odds more than seven percent. <laughs> Well, there is one, but it's got hardly any public land, so that's why that one's what it is. Yep. And then with 11 points, <clears throat> I'm just glancing through the go hunt draw odds here. If you had 11 points and you were interested in a rifle tag, um, 3.9 so far is the highest. Mm, yeah. 3.9% is your best odds with 11%. With the exception of a couple units that they give away tags, but people say, why do they even give away tags for that? Yeah. And then they have late rifles, which this year are November 7th through the 15th. And with 11 points, now you start getting to some of the units there where, okay, uh, let's see, less than 1%, 2%. <laughs> Uh, 11%, 4.8%, 1.5%, 36%, 1.6%, 0.94%, 2.9%, 1%, 2.7%, 0.51%. <laughs> That's with 11 points, Corey. 
So well, I just rattle at- those off so that people see what what what's what you're the up against <laughs> of tag in Utah. Yep. And you hear, you know, the the premier units in every state. And I think in Utah, you know, the San Juan is a very well-known elk unit. And Mm -hmm. if you want to draw that and hunt it during archery season, which, again, keep in mind, ends on September 11th this year. So you aren't going to get very much good rutting action there, which would be the the draw to hunt a unit like that. It's going to take 21 points to draw that tag for archery. If you go to uh, to muzzleloader on that same tag at San Juan, if you have 25 points, you have a 0.88% chance, less than 1% chance to hunt the San Juan. With 25 and points. With 25 points. And if you want to hunt it with a rifle, which again, you know, the September 12th through September 20th season this year, which are our prime dates, it takes 24 points to, to draw that tag. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Utah Division of Wildlife Resources is just going to send us a bill for all the people we talked out of buying raffle tickets in Utah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's just important that people understand, you know, before right. they get too excited and decide to go and jump into a state, Utah is not the state to jump into if you want to have a quality hunt in the next 10 years. It's just, it's not going to happen. You can hunt the Wasatch Mountains with archery with 10 points, and it used to take two to three points for a non-resident. It takes 10 now. The quality has gone downhill. There's people, a lot of people you're hunting that early season. So just, you know, be aware there's probably over-the-counter hunts that are close to comparable to a hunt like that in another state if you do your research. Yeah. And with that said, you know, we're talking over-the-counter hunts. Utah does have over-the-counter elk hunts. You can buy a a license and buy a tag for $393 and go and hunt several of their general units for elk. Yeah. Yeah, and we we aren't even going to get into that. That's a whole other discussion here. We've mostly just been talking about how the limited entry tag gig works, and there's also a big price difference. Uh, Yeah. The general tag is three hundred ninety-three. The limited entry tag is eight hundred dollars for a non-resident. So, yep. think about this, Corey. In Montana, my limited entry uh, Montana elk tag, if you add in the application costs and everything, is less than thirty dollars. I don't know what it is in Idaho. If you were to draw a controlled tag, um, yeah, it's just just the license itself. I think is I don't know thirty-five or forty dollars. Okay. For a resident. So residents in Utah for a limited entry elk tag are paying 285 bucks on top of their $34 license. Yeah. <laughs> so those of you listening from Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, where we should almost go to confession for how low our resident fees are, Utah folks, you know how to write a check. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't even imagine if in Montana we said a limited entry elk tag was going to be two hundred and eighty-five bucks. They'd go and burn <laughs> the capital building down. <laughs> but that's what it is in Utah. So, yep. And again, that's for the limited entry. Yeah. Um, for for just your general deer, it's fifty dollars for a resident. Yeah. Or general elk, you mean? Yeah. Yes, general elk. Yes, for a resident. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you got to be twelve years old in Utah. And uh, I'm one of those old fogies. I skipped 
I, my, I was born long ago, so I wouldn't even have to have hunter ed in Utah, even though I have it. I, I wouldn't have to have it there. So you're you're saying you were born before 1965? Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you were born after December 31, 1965, you have to have hunter ed in Utah. Yeah. And you have to have 400 square inches of hunter orange that includes something on your chest and back and something on your head. If you're rifle hunting. Yep. So. And again, the deadline, if you do want to play, if you're still with us here and you're still excited to apply for Utah, you have to do so by March 5th this year. Yeah. And I would encourage anybody who, if you're going to buy that non-resident license, uh, get your money's worth. Yeah. Throw $10 raffle tickets, quote unquote, in the pot. And apply for limited entry deer, limited entry antelope, you know, the once in a lifetime species. I, yep. I, I took that approach while I was building points for pronghorn. And along the way, I drew elk and deer, limited entry. I drew archery deer with six points and archery elk with four points. But I am definitely the outlier on the bell curve. <laughs> and, I mean, we can just get done telling everybody how hard it is to draw, right? And yeah, and I tell them, yeah, I drew a six points. Um, but here's the other side of that curve. I'm sitting on 21 pronghorn points. So, so. go figure, right? Yep. Who, who would be dumb enough to flunk out 21 times in a row for pronghorn? <laughs> I don't think this one is a, I don't think you get an intelligence score to help you on this one. So, <laughs> uh, But I also drew bison with 19 points, which even that was a little bit sooner than one would expect. But I'm, I'm probably not the good sample uh, to look at for Utah. Um, but it, it does go to show that if you are in in the pool, you have a chance, and yeah, you have no the, chance if you don't enter. So, right, and that's where in I a couple of years I would buy a point for antelope just because I knew I had a conflict. But all the other species, I okay, I could buy a point for my ten bucks, or I could throw my name in the hat. You never know. Well, by throwing my name in the hat and actually making an application for that species rather than just buying a point, voila, I lucked out. So, Yep. Anything else we need to <laughs> say to discourage people from going to Utah? <laughs> uh, there's a new rule this year about if you return your tag, uh, you if you do it within 30 days before season opens, or I guess longer than 30 days before season opens. Uh, you'll get your points restored, but you're not going to get a point for this year. Um, and uh, if you do it within that 30-day window, you don't get your points restored, but you could get your tag fee refunded. So, in other words, be on the ball. Yeah. So. Well, I think it just, you know, yeah. just as we're sitting here talking about this, I can remember, and we've talked several times on other episodes about you and I both having spreadsheets and, you know, calculating draw odds <laughs> for all these different units. And we're sitting here on Go Hunt on Insider, and it lists 
every single unit, every single hunt for every species, you can see the the draw odds based on how many points you have. So, you know, yeah. even if you haven't started applying for other states yet, it's super helpful to get an idea because you can look on here and say, if I if I want to wait 10 years, what what tags do I realistically have a chance of drawing right now? Keeping in mind that, you know, that a lot of these tags are going up and creeping it at least one point every year. And uh, that's going to give you a pretty good idea of on some of these states. And Utah is one that paints a pretty, not pretty picture yeah. <laughs> for putting in and starting upside, An upside to Utah is they give away so few tags that if you draw one of the limited entry tags and they don't have one of the spike hunts going on while you're there. I can give that caveat. The limited entry tags I have drawn, they give away so few permits for each hunt code. You do have a pretty high quality experience. Yeah. Yeah. You, you probably won't even see with. anybody near your camp. And typically if yeah. you get in other than, you know, some of the close to population units like the Wasatch and stuff. But if you get in some of those other units, there's such big units and so few tags available that you really you don't have to worry about other hunters typically. But like you said, there are some areas where there is a general spike hunt going on during those limited hunts. And you need to definitely be aware of that because you might get 500 people on the weekend out there looking for a spike to shoot while you're trying to find a big bull. And, you know, well, they're not necessarily hunting the same elk you are. The spikes are usually in the same herd as the bull you're looking for. And they're chasing those herds all over the mountains. So. Yeah. <clears throat> Matthew, point. my son has 16 points in Utah for elk right now. And the one unit that we think he pretty much could draw, uh, it's not one of the top units, but there's a spike elk hunt going on at the same time. And in my head, I just said, you know what? If we're, if he's already waited 16 years, well, let's not do it in a unit where we're going to be inundated with spike general tag hunters. Uh, absolutely you know just be patient wait a few more years and maybe he can luck out and have a tag in a unit that doesn't have that overlap of seasons but i'm surprised utah does it that way but oh well (laughs) i don't live there i don't write the law i just i just try to know what's going on so i don't find myself in a frustrating predicament yeah yeah we just play the game yeah so I think we've thoroughly depressed everybody about the long term, the, the short. Certainly, we've depressed them on the short term possibilities of Utah. Maybe there are some folks who just say, "No, you know, it's part of my budget, and I know I'm going to be 84 when I draw." Oh, yep. <clears throat> the other downside about Utah is you don't find out till late in May. Usually, they hit your credit card sometime in the middle of May. And then you stand around wondering, well, what did I draw? At least if you're applying for one of the species where all the prices are the same. Like when I drew bison, bison, sheep, moose, and goat are all the same price. So I'm like, oh, man, which one did I draw? Not that I would have been upset with any of them, but there's a two-week lag between when your credit card gets hit and when the actual draw results are posted. But if, if that's the worst problem I would ever have, it'd be a pretty good month of May. <laughs> that is very true. I'll make you a deal. Do you hit my credit card again for $1,518? Uh, 
and I'll, I'll be happy to wait two weeks to find out whether I drew moose or sheep. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I got to worry about that. Yeah. So, well, what do we want to do next? We want to add Nevada to this since we're yeah. Let's let's just, since we're depressing people, let's just throw it right on top of it. People are still, you know. These eternal optimists that are still excited to apply for Utah or Nevada. Let's uh, let's see if we can sway there them here go. in the next thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, because for everything that we talked about for Utah, it's basically worse for Nevada. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But again, I would say if you are like me and you like hunting mule deer with a bow, which if I'm going to hunt mule deer, I'd rather hunt them with a bow in August. Uh, that's that's why Nevada can stay higher on my list. And, and I throw that out there as a caveat that for me, applying for elk in Nevada is just the ancillary benefit of my archery mule deer problem. So yeah, I, I'm a little off kilter there so but if we look at it through the lens of elk if you want to buy this non-resident license which is required to well all right this is kind of like the tax world right i'm a cpa and can i do this and i always say well it depends (laughs) so you uh you can your hunting license can be refundable that 155 dollars but you don't get to build points if you get your license refunded. Yep. And honestly, in Nevada, if you aren't building points, especially for elk, your chances are (laughs) negligible. Yeah, one divided by infinity. Yeah. So, I mean, you could apply for an elk license every year and get a refund on your hunting license and maybe luck out and draw because it is a true bonus point system it's not preference um but your odds are going to be incredibly incredibly low but there's always a chance there's always somebody that draws with zero points somebody Uh, does i yeah but the other so nevada doesn't have two parts to their draw like utah nevada just has one part again non-residents get to compete for our own pool of tags so that's good but they square the bonus points and now you're getting people who have 20, 24 bonus points, and you start squaring that number. My mind isn't smart enough to square. I'll just stick with 20. I know that's 400. <laughs> yeah. So you think about how that skews the odds towards the high point holders. I mean, it's crazy. Yep. So. And again, you know, when we talk about like Idaho, it it seems to come up every year that somebody wants to get bonus points in Idaho. And, you know, you you throw out the simple math of preference point systems or bonus point systems that they aren't going to work. And they say, well, there's always, you know, unique and creative ways to construct bonus point systems. I think just about every state has just about every possible combination of creative and unique systems out there and Nevada, you know, you look at it and say, okay, well, yes, everybody still has a chance, but we're going to square it so that the longer you stay in it, your, your chances go up exponentially. It's the same outcome. It's, you know, nobody has a good chance. Even somebody with 15 points, you're getting 225 chances in there. Well, yeah, you have a better chance than somebody with one point who's getting one chance in there, but it's, it's just not going to 
be a long-term effective approach to be able to distribute those and create opportunity for people. Yeah. Well, for what it's worth in the non-resident pool, Nevada started their point system 26, well, 27 years ago now. So there are people going into the draw that have, there's one person left who has 27 points. They had 26 points last year and they didn't draw. <laughs> so what's 26 times 26? That's got to be 650 or something yeah, like that. It's getting up there. Yeah, and they did not draw. In fact, I'm looking at where they applied, and with their 26 points for the rifle tag in units 221, 22, and 23, their odds were 2%. They were the... They were the one non-resident who's at the absolute top of the point pool, and they had a 2% chance. And I'm sitting here just dying trying to come up with actual numbers to throw out, and my son used my calculator for the ACT test last week, and I haven't got it back, but I have a calculator on my phone, and if just assuming that the the cost of the license was 156 every one of those years, which I'm sure it's gone up at some point in there, but you would have invested $4,056 just in the hunting license, and it's $19 per year for the elk. So that's another $500 or so in there. So you have $4,500 just in the application and license cost. And then when you draw the tag, it's another, what is it, $1,000 in Nevada? $1,200 for the elk, for the elk tag. So you've invested $4,500 to get your 26 points, and you still only have a 2% draw odd for that elk tag yeah yeah nevada they'll teach you how to write a check that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) and if you uh, aren't good at math when you start applying by the time you get 26 (laughs) you probably have gotten a really good lesson in statistics and math (laughs) probably but the the if they're the bright sides in nevada are that You don't have to pay all that money up front. You got to buy the license and pay the application fee up front. You can apply for every species that is available to non-residents. So you got that going for you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You ran out of positive things to say, didn't you? (laughs) That's what I had on my list. I thought you might have a few to add to it. (laughs) So so again, I, I recognize that the vast majority of our listeners are probably not going to be interested in Utah or Nevada just because of the, it's expensive. It's hard to draw. Yes, there is the allure of if you draw, you're going to have a quality hunt because you're going to have few other hunters out there competing with you. You're going to be hunting an older age class of animals. And as I've mentioned before, for me, I just want to be able to say I've hunted elk in every state. And the only way to hunt elk in Nevada is to a buy a landowner tag for $20,000 or B, play the game. And, yep. you know, the landowner tag option is out of my budget for sure. And, you know, I, I just, I've got, I think, five points now for elk in Nevada. And it's going to be a while. I'm not going to wait for one of those premier units that, you know, with 26 points, you have a 2% draw odd. But uh, even with 10 points in some of those harder to, or easier to draw units, your draw odds are still only 6 or 8%. So it's going to yeah. take me a while. And I recognize that. And, Fortunately, I've got I've got time on my side as far as, you know, 
wanting to hunt Nevada and it's, it's not like I'm in any hurry to get there. I'm just going to build those points and put in each year. And when it finally happens, I'll go down there and be excited to hunt elk in Nevada for my one time in my life. Yeah. We'll get your walking chair going up the hill That's for right. you. <laughs> and from what I've seen, Nevada is one of those places where you probably could get away in, uh, in those golden years of being able to still chase an elk there. Yeah. I mean, Matthew, again, my son, he's got 17 points in Nevada for elk and they kind of like Utah has some, they have even worse archery dates in my mind. There's a few units that extend into September, but quite a few of their archery dates are August 16th through the 31st. Yep. That means only in August are you archery hunting? Yep. So I'm looking at, so unit 62 through 68, I've seen some nice elk in there before when I've been antelope hunting. With 17 points, his odds are 8%. <laughs> and he only gets to hunt August 16th through the 31st with 17 points. That is insane. That's, that's one of those units where his odds are pretty darn good. Yeah. And then you you go down to the muzzle loader and the rifle odds. Oh. <laughs> uh, Matthew's going to be my age before they finally take his points. But. Yep. Well, and you mentioned units, was it 221, 222, 223? Um, yeah. Probably one of the more well-known areas in the state of Nevada for big bulls. And if you want to archery hunt, you get to hunt through September 16th. But with 25 mm-hmm. points, you still have less than a 1% chance of drawing. Less than one percent, point nine six percent with twenty six points for an archery tag in that unit, and then you get into some of these units like you mentioned that have the August dates, and you're still looking at low draw odds. You know, ten. Let's say we have ten points, which I'm still five point or five years away from that. The best odds that I have of drawing an archery tag in the entire state is 14% with 10 points, and that hunt ends on August 31st. Yeah. So. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I, I drew in 2005. I had eight points, and this was back in the day when we were doing all this with spreadsheets, right? <laughs> I looked, and my best calculation of this weird Nevada system was that I don't think they were squaring bonus points at that time. Uh, I had about a 15% chance of drawing that year, if I remember right, 12, 15% with eight points. Now that same exact unit, those same exact hunt dates with eight points, your odds are (laughs) (laughs) 0.2%. I'm just looking at the the page here on Go Hunt and Insider and just looking at the the whole spreadsheet. It goes from zero points to 17 that you can see on my computer monitor. And it lists pretty much all of the archery hunts. And there is nothing on there higher than 17%. And again, that's the hunt that ends August 31st. I would say just looking at this, 80% of the hunts, 75% of the hunts that are listed on this sheet are less than 1% draw odds for 0 to Mm -hmm. 17 points. And that's yeah. for archery. Those are the easiest to draw ones. Yeah. And that gets to how a system that squares bonus points 
you think, oh, well, next year my odds are a little better. No, they actually get worse. And <laughs> you, you got to sit down and do the math on this. And you being an engineer, me being an accountant, you know, we, math, we don't have many strong suits, but math might be our stronger suit. So last year you had two points or you had one point. This year you got two. So you get four bonus points. Assigned to four random numbers. Yep. Well, the guy who had 20 or had 19 this year, he's got 20. So he gets 400. So he's even got, I mean, the probabilities just get messed up worse and worse and worse. The person who goes from four points to five points, okay, they go from having 16 uh extra points because you square four versus 25 all right who i gained nine bonus raffle tickets i guess the guy who went from 19 to 20 went from i don't know what would that be 371 <laughs> up to 400 so he got 39 additional random numbers this year so the squaring of bonus points if you sit down and pencil it out in its long-term trajectory, it, it it's worse than a preference point system almost because it gives you the false idea that you're going to draw someday. Yep. Well, I, I've done the math. You know, I say, okay, let's take a unit that has, you know, 100 applicants and 10 tags. And every year if I apply for that hunt, I have a 10% draw odd. And now let's let's just throw it into a normal bonus point system and look at the draw odds. And do they go up? Yeah, they go up. And this is assuming no new applicants come in, which if you go to a, any kind of a point system, you'll almost always double the applicants yeah. that first year because everybody wants in at the ground level. So now your odds are cut in half to start with, and it's going to take you 10 years to build back up just to get to where you were without bonus points. And then from there, when you get to 20 points in that same hunt, it just, you know, your odds might be 12% instead of 10% now. And it just, it's it's not a smart system. But if you look at Nevada and just using your examples, if you go from four points to five points, I'm just going to randomly pick a, a unit here for archery that ends on September 16th. So it's a tougher to draw unit. If I, let's, I'm going to go with this one because the other one is so low that it's hard to even do the math on it. But if I have four points, I have a 0.38% chance of drawing this tag. If I wait another year, my chances go up to 0.58%. Okay, now let's jump up and say I have 18 points. I have a 7% draw odd. And when I go from 18 to 19 points, it goes to 7.8% draw odd. So I'm getting, you know, those 18 points squared, I'm getting another 30 points or whatever the next year, and those 30 points get me a 0.8% chance higher than I had the year before of drawing. <laughs> and when I look at it, yeah, I have a I have a 12 times greater chance of drawing than I did when I had five points 13 years ago, but I still statistically a 7% chance of drawing you you know you want to you want to play those odds you're you might be waiting a long time yeah the These point of all that tough. yeah yeah the point of all that is point systems are not a good tool to generate or, or to cycle people through a system when you have 
such huge amount of demand for such small amount of tags. Yep. When I ran all of my calculations on it, I, I did a huge study. I mean, I had multiple spreadsheets going. It was between 20 and 25% draw odds where bonus points started to become effective. And there were a lot of assumptions there, again, that new people weren't coming in, that it was it was staying the same number of applicants as what there was the year before when there was no point system. If you're between 20 and 25% or higher uh, on the draw odds, then bonus points will help cycle people through. And you're never going yeah. to be guaranteed, but the odds become so heavily weighted that you, know, you get up over a 50% draw odd and it makes sense. But for anything less than that, especially when you get below a 10% draw odd hunt, bonus points just don't help you and they hurt long term. When you look ahead 10 years and think about, hey, my kids or a new hunter wants to get in in 10 years after the system was started, they really have no statistical hope of drawing that tag. Yeah. The, the one thing about Nevada is it gives you five choices and it looks at all five of your choices before it goes on to the person behind you next in line based on lowest random numbers. So if you're the hundredth person in the line, before they go on to number 101, they look at all five of your choices. So I use that to my advantage for all the species I get on go hunt and I sort it. I'm like, all right, what are the five easiest to draw units? And I pick the four easiest to draw units and say, all right, (laughs) those are four of my five choices. And I'm going to do them in order of easiest or hardest to easiest. (laughs) And uh, still I'm back in the pool. I got four points or five points. (laughs) But then I always make my first choice some crazy, what if by some crazy miracle, I were to have got the lowest random number in the pile? So that's always my first choice. And then I start from there. I've taken advantage. So there is some strategy to how to use your five applications. I make sure that I'm able to to, uh, at least... For deer, it work, works way better. We, <laughs> when I do this for deer, especially archery deer, uh, having four or five points, you're going to cycle through archery deer just about every two to four years in Nevada as an non-resident. Yeah, it's completely different than elk. But I use that same strategy there. That all right, my first one. What if I just lucked out and got the super low random number? So that's my first choice. And then my last four choices are the easiest units Nevada has listed. And there's not a bad elk hunt in Nevada. You give me any tag in Nevada, and I'm dropping what I'm doing, and I'm going. Yep. So that's that's yeah, the benefit and, in it. and the other thing when you're talking about that application strategy of you know listing five different hunts you can actually mix and match your weapon so you can apply for a rifle hunt as your first choice a muzzleloader hunt yep. in the same unit as your second choice an archery hunt in the same unit as your third choice and then another rifle hunt in a completely different unit as your fourth choice an archery in a another different unit for your fifth choice so you can just kind of mix and match weapons and seasons and all of that within the elk application. Yep. So I guess the, the point in Nevada is we're all on a budget. So 
Nevada and Utah are probably going to be lower on your priority list based on what you like to hunt, you know, how much do you like hunting the ancillary opportunities of deer and antelope or whatever else it might be. But for elk, these are long-term plans. Don't, you know, we, we've always in the past talked about what's my short-term plan, mid-term plan and long-term plan. Both of these states definitely fall into the long-term plan. Yep. Unless you yeah. know something I know. Well, a man much. with your connections, Corey, I'm surprised you haven't drawn with five points. You know, connections don't help you draw. <laughs> I've, gotten, I've gotten plenty of people reaching out to me when I told them, you know, I wanted to hunt elk in every state. And I've, you know, Nevada was on my list. I had a lot of people reach out to me and offer to sell me a landowner tag. Oh, I bet. Yeah. You I mean, just, you don't have 20,000, 30,000 just stuffed under your mattress I, there at all? I did have, but it's. It's gone. When I went to look it's for gone. it. It wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I wondered how your wife had that new vehicle. Well, she doesn't even have a new vehicle. I'm just, I'm wondering if, you know, it's my kids having three teenagers. I seem to cycle through that stash oh, of money boy. that I have set aside for hunting rather quickly. Yeah. Three teenagers. You don't have a chance, my friend. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Well, I know. I'll I mean, I'm <laughs> the good news about that is between time and budget right now, you know, I don't have time to hunt the mule deer, the antelope, all the other species. I kind of have to, you know, with elk being my focus and my mm. platform, that's that's my priority in the fall. But I am building points in Nevada and in other states, Wyoming, for mule deer and antelope. And, you know, by the time the kiddos are all gone, I'll have 12 or 15 points for those other species and be ready to go and yeah hunt some of them so there, there's a long-term strategy outside of elk and some of these states yeah. do play a part in it yeah and that's you know kind of like we said in utah if you're going to do this get the most out of that upfront investment of that non-resident license and throw your name in the hat for the other species that are available you never know or buy a, at least build points for them because you never know when you want to go hunt them yep so did we say what the deadline was in Nevada of May 4th? I don't, I don't think we did mention that. So, oh, Okay. Well, this year, rumor has it from a good source who works for Nevada Department of Wildlife that their deadline is May 4th, uh, 2020. And they always have their results. Now, when I say always, I'm going to mess us up. I'm going to jinx us. <laughs> in prior years, history has shown the Nevada releases their results the Friday before Memorial Day, which this year, if they hold true to that, would be May 22nd. So we're talking like a three-week turnaround mm-hmm. for them to conduct the draws and let people know. Yeah. Man. Hey, Wyoming, I, are you listening? I was just going to say, why is it that all these conversations about application make me sound like a negative person? Because I just about said... Why in the world is Wyoming holding on to our money for four months? <laughs> because they can. <laughs> yep. And after, after, after they come out, after their application deadline, which was January 31st, the week after that, they come out and say, oh, yeah, we're also looking at increasing non-resident elk tag fees by, what, 30 or 40 percent and decreasing the number of them available by 40 percent. It yeah. just it just keeps getting harder and harder for non-residents looking to hunt elk in other states. It's uh, 
there, there's definitely yeah. a concern, and I think we'll probably follow up and discuss this in greater detail maybe once we get through all the applications and everything this year. But yeah, I'm starting to starting to get pretty concerned for opportunities and what that does, not just to us being able to, you know, a lot of people probably listen saying, oh, poor guy, you can't get in your truck and drive across the state and hunt a elk in another state. But it concerns me for the long term of what yeah. it's going to do to elk hunting in general, even for residents, because you start talking yeah. budgets for states and different things. It's, it's uh, not yeah. a good, not a good path we're on. No, before, uh, I forget about this email I got last year. Some guy, the day before the deadline or two days before the deadline, shoots me an email. Hey, nobody told me I had to have proof of hunter education and that they had to have it on file, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking to myself, oops, sorry if I missed that one, but, you know, procrastination is probably not the best way to get it get in this system. But for a reminder, now everybody will be fully aware Nevada requires that you show proof of that and that they have it in your file, your electronic file, before they will let you apply. So if you're born after January 1, 1960, you have to get them the information. And you can, at least last year, there was an email. You could just email a photo of your, uh, your Hunter Ed certificate uh i can't remember there were it was like you call there look it up in the regulations there's an email address you send it to um and then they put it in your file and say yeah okay we have it on file now we will let you finish your application so So don't wait till the last day (laughs) no if you wait till the last day you are probably going to be on the outside looking in if that is if you've uh you've not uh got that on file yeah and don't wait for the last day anyway because it seems like a lot of times there are crashes because everybody waits and it just turns into a frustrating debacle so there's no reason to wait till that last day the deadline is may 4th the window is open usually throughout the entire month of april at least so yeah yeah there'll be by the end of March, they'll have their regs online, ready to download. Um, and, uh, yeah, don't mess it up. Yeah. I had somebody email me, uh, last week, the day after Arizona's deadline. And I wrote an article like I do every year for elk 101 and it's, you know, picking the best week to hunt elk in this year being 2020. And, you know, I just talk about moon phases and fall equinox and, rut and weather and all those things some of which you can predict some of that you can't and trying to you know say hey if you're on the fence about which week to hunt here is how i would suggest to hunt it and i sent that out and he got that and it reminded him that that was the dead i sent it out on the deadline for arizona and he sent me a screenshot and i think it said you have four minutes and 30 seconds to complete your application before the uh, the draw was closed so it came down to the wire, but he got it in, and uh, but yeah, something like that. You, your internet company decides to upgrade your line or something at midnight that night, and they do it ten minutes early, and all of a sudden your internet goes out while you're trying to apply or something. You, uh, you're taking an awful big risk there. Yeah, I, I don't trust my applications to anybody else. 
And I also get them done out pronto yep. sooner rather than later. So, but since we're on the, on the state of Nevada, um, the state of Nevada was a, a really unique and interesting way that RMEF was involved getting uh, elk on the ground in Nevada. Um, the whole Bruno River drainage uh, up in northeast Nevada, and that river goes into your lovely state of Idaho down there in the southwest, if I remember right. Um, and in 1991, RMEF bought uh, 40, I think it was 4,700 acre ranch there that also had a bunch of grazing allotments with it. So the deal was RMEF would buy the ranch turn the deeded land over to the BLM and then redistribute all the grazing rights that came with that ranch to the other ranches out there. And the idea being, all right, this will help compensate or balance out some of the uh, competition for forage, whatever you want to say it is. Um, And that's how they got the buy-in from the, uh, the other folks out there and you look at how elk numbers have grown in nevada it's crazy it's uh really really an interesting program totally uh, yeah and on on the uh rmef.org if you go into their map that kind of shows where they conserve and talks about you know their public land protection and access projects conservation easements on easements on private land uh, and then elk restoration projects and all that, you can actually turn on a map that shows the historic range of elk and then the current range of elk. And uh, it's pretty impressive to see how elk have spread in Nevada. And they've got a, a super, super strong elk herd, especially in northern Nevada. Yeah. Do you think we need to tell people where they can save money? Or do they already know that? <laughs> I think the reminders always good. That. Yeah, it's pretty much anywhere except for what is it? Walmart dot com told us we couldn't use it there. I think just <laughs> <laughs> about anywhere else you go, if you use the promo code Elk Talk, it's going to save you something. Yeah. So our good friends at Gerber Gear, uh, they have a promo code. What? What do you, you go to GerberGear dot com? What do they get? Twenty percent off. Yeah, twenty percent off. And then twenty percent off all the apps on onyx yep 15 percent at rocky mountain hunting calls yep. and then at go hunt they get 50 dollars of mad money in their store right 50 dollar gift card to spend on whatever they want it's not a you know buy a hundred dollars and get 20 dollars in free you get a gift card for 20 or for 50 dollars to buy whatever you want suppose we could get anyone else to start Giving our listeners more goodies. <laughs> Don't say that. We're going to get inundated with people that want to provide a well, promo code to our listeners. Well, we're here. We're that's you know that's part of what we're here for. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, I, if if somebody wants to sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course yeah. and learn all about elk hunting and 
you know, not just application. So if there is some stuff in there on application and help guide you through selecting what states are going to be best based on your goals and expectations and everything. But I think the real meat and potatoes of that is the just the strategies and the tactics for hunting, using calls, becoming proficient with calls, scouting, e-scouting, all of that. But that promo code Elk Talk is uh, valid there at elk101.com for signing up for the online course. It'll save you 20% there as well. Man, back to my earlier comment about getting any kinder, someone might die of enlargement of the heart. I think you're there, Corey. <laughs> well, you know, I, I figure if I, enlarge my, if I enlarge my heart, hopefully one day my budget enlarges and that will uh, allow me to hunt elk a little more. Uh, yeah. Did you apply in Alaska? I know you'd always talk that you're going to apply in Alaska someday. I did not. And it's so hard because I just look at the points that I have already in places like Wyoming, mm-hmm. Colorado, Oregon, that I really need to start looking at using. I've got 17 elk points in Colorado and realistically they're it's a waste after about 10 or 11. There's really nothing I'm ever going to touch in my lifetime. I don't think they're Um, So I need to just use those so I can quit buying a license in Colorado. And just looking at that, I I do want to hunt elk in Alaska. I just haven't had the time to research it. Uh, I'd love to go up there and hunt moose in September sometime and and spend a little time scouting and just getting a feel for what the elk hunting's like. Uh, But if there is somebody that's an expert on hunting elk in Alaska listening, I would love to pick your brain a little bit. So, But no, I did not apply. Well, the reason I ask is on Friday. We find out what we drew in Alaska, if anything, and I didn't apply for elk either. So, yep. I was I was wondering if you applied and you drew, then I'd feel bad. Yeah, feel, no, feel, feel good for you, bad for me for being <laughs> yeah. a tight lot and not applying. So. Uh, and that's hard part. You have to buy a license there, and I just where I'm buying a license in Colorado and Arizona and Nevada every year. I I, I feel I need to draw one of those tags and then allocate a little of my budget up to Alaska. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think a lot of people, I, and the reason I bring that up uh, to let people know that I didn't apply there, um, not that it's a huge amount of money, but oh, everybody's got a budget as much as you and I, this is part of what we do uh, to produce content. I still do an analysis of where's the best use of my money. And there are some states I don't apply to. I don't apply, even though there's elk options in Oregon, I don't apply there. Washington, I don't apply there. Um, So uh, everybody's faced with a different situation of their budgets for time and money and do what works for you. Don't. You know, don't just do it because someone else does it that way. Everyone's got to look at it for their own set of priorities and what they're looking to get out of it. Yep. Absolutely. Well, we covered everything. Do we need to just waste more people's time here? I don't think we need to waste anybody's time. If you're still interested in Utah and Nevada, hopefully that information will help you navigate that system. It's uh, they're, they're definitely, I would say, out of the 10 western states for elk, they're probably at the bottom. 
Uh, I wouldn't yeah. even say near the bottom. They're probably at the bottom as far as there are better states to apply in for a short-term and mid-term strategy. If you want to, you know, if you're looking at jumping into six or seven different states and want to have opportunities in multiple different places in the future, uh, they might be for you. If you live close to them, that might be a reason to apply. If you're a resident, obviously it's it's different than what we talked about. But uh, yeah, for for the bulk of our listeners, Utah and Nevada, probably not the best states. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it Nevada gets higher, like I said earlier, just because of my passion for archery uh, mule deer. And you can occasionally draw a pronghorn tag there. So I'm, I'm an opportunist when it comes to that kind of stuff. So Absolutely. Well, okay. Corey, I think we let him go, huh? Yeah, we let them go. What I think uh, is Colorado next for deadline, or New Mexico, actually. New Mexico and then, New Mexico. well, Montana. Yeah. When's Montana? Uh, Montana moved their date back this year to April 1st. I don't know if that's yeah. April Fool's Day. I would never make my date April 1st. That's yeah. people be like, is this a joke or what's the deal? There? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, there's going to be all sorts, of, all sorts of good stuff there on April 1st. Yeah, I think New Mexico is... Uh, March 18th, if I remember right. And then yep. Montana is April 1st. And I think Colorado this year is April 7th or 9th or something. Yep. Anyhow, that's the way we'll, we'll roll them out. Yep. So stay tuned for more of those, and we'll try to mix in some non-application-related content in between here yep. and there. We're still getting – seems like we did those two listener Q&A podcasts and that's generated a lot more. Seems like we've got a flurry of emails coming in even more than normal the last several yeah. weeks. So we might have to pull a few more of those out. Yeah, I think we'll we'll sort some of those. I'll take a day away from doing tax returns and <laughs> let my mind rest for a while. And uh, maybe I'll come up with a few that we can talk about and agree, yeah, this would be a good topic. Absolutely. And where do they leave that? That comment? Uh, go, to, go to elktalkpodcast.com and click on the contact form, and it automatically somehow finds, navigates the map that it ends up in our email inbox, and we get to read what you type. So go to elktalkpodcast.com, cool. leave us a comment. Be sure you're following us on Instagram. We've got a, gosh, I don't remember how many followers. we've. It's grown, though. We're up to, I want to say almost 20,000, 12, 20, 000, 12, 12 oh, yeah. maybe a that probably is more realistic. <laughs> uh, well, folks, thanks for listening. Hope you all uh, draw some tags this year and you get out hunting. Yep. And if you do draw Utah Nevada tag, good luck and enjoy that. And I'll, uh, I'm still waiting. Yeah. Well, don't stand by your phone waiting for him to call you, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll catch you on the next one.